Debt is a word we know all too well, isn't it? Getting into debt is super easy for us to do, and sometimes it begins with establishing credit with a credit card that gives us access to purchase things that we often can't afford in the moment. And we know that if we don't use this card rightly, that we can easily purchase things with our credit card racking up a debt that can take years for us to pay off. And if we simply pay the minimum payments, we can spend even much more than the actual purchase price of the products that we've bought because of the interest accrued on our debt. In fact, a 2019 experience study concluded that the average American has over $90,460 in debt. Now, these figures include revolving debt, such as retail cards and credit cards, also housing-related debt, including mortgage loans and home equity lines of credit, and consumer loans, such as a personal loan or student loans. And of all of these debt types, the average student loan balance showed the highest jump from 10 years prior in 2009 to now by 73%. So it doesn't matter what age you are, all of us, even our young folks who are in college and graduating, are coming out in lots of debt. So we know debt very well, and all of us would love to completely be out from under it, wouldn't we? Amen? Amen. As we continue our sermon series in Romans today, Paul has something to say about debt too. But we know that when Paul speaks about something he usually looks at it from a totally different perspective. Here now from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there are, are all summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, last Sunday, we talked about Paul's perspective of submitting to the authorities, and he transitions his thoughts about this as he talks now about paying off our debts. This, too, is part of being a good Christian citizen, fulfilling our obligation to repay what we owe to someone. He doesn't give us permission to default on our mortgages or to stop paying on that maxed out credit card. No, we are called to fulfill our commitments, whether it's paying off our debt financially or even if we've made promises to someone for something and to make sure that we are good for that. Christians are obligated to pay off their debts, except, well, for one. Paul says that there's one debt that we must hold on to for the rest of our lives. And this debt is not financial in nature. Instead, it's a commitment of love for one another, or best translated as, for the other. So even if we pay and fulfill all of our indebtedness, we will always remain in debt to love the other among us. You know, Paul often talks a lot about love. He's done it thus far through the book of Romans. He does it in his other letters as well. And if you remember just two weeks ago, we read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, which begins by saying, love must be sincere. 
And I mentioned to you that when Paul says this, really what he's saying is that love must not be hypocritical. It must be genuine. It must be sincere. And this is in the context of us loving our enemies. And now he shifts his focus away from that to loving the other as our neighbors among us. Not necessarily our physical next door neighbors per se, but those whom we know and we have a relationship with. But my question for you this morning, is Paul talking just about those whom we know and we have a relationship with, or is he pushing us even further? In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is approached by an expert in the law who attempts to test Jesus, asking him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus turns his question back to him, since he's the expert, and he asks him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The man responds back to Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus applauds him for his right answer, and he encourages him to do just that. But the expert pushes Jesus just a little further, seeking to justify himself. He asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, I wrestle with this man's question simply because it seeks to justify who we don't have to love. And you know, Jesus wrestles with it too. Now, historically, there were issues between Jews and Gentiles, for the Romans were occupying and oppressing Israel politically and economically, and even using brutality and fear to keep them from revolting against them. Honestly, I can't imagine what that must have been like, because we live in America, the home of the free. But I bet there was probably righteous anger and hatred towards the Gentiles who had taken over the land promised to them and given to them by God. I suppose that I can't be too judgmental of the fact that this man wanted Jesus to tell him, the Romans are not your neighbors. But Jesus goes a step beyond that, sharing with him a parable of what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. A man is walking on a dangerous road, and he gets robbed and beaten up and is left to die in a ditch. And then two Jewish church leaders, one at a time, discover him, but they do nothing to help their Jewish brother. But then a Samaritan finds him, and he takes pity on him. He bandages his wounds, he puts him on his donkey, and he takes him to an inn, paying for his stay. And even going the extra mile, he offers to pay for any extra expenses that might be incurred. Who was the neighbor, Jesus asks, and the expert in the law doesn't even utter the word Samaritan. Instead, he responds, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus then instructs him once again to go and do likewise. You see, we often miss that Samaritans were considered less than by their Jewish counterparts. They were considered half-breeds, half Assyrian and half Jewish, and not to mention the theological differences that really separated them. So the expert in the law would have been utterly offended with Jesus' parable. How could Jesus lift up a Samaritan as a hero instead of the Jewish church leaders? How could Jesus consider these people to be their neighbors? I mean, it's much easier to hold a grudge and have ingrained beliefs than it is to step across the road and offer compassion and love. But that's not the way of Jesus. 
You see, the Jews understood their neighbors to be like them, Jewish. Thus a Gentile or even a Samaritan could be treated differently. But the Torah, God's instruction, the first five books of the law, wasn't limited to the Jews, but it also included the other, or as often termed, the alien who resides among them. In Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34, God says this, When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. The stranger who lives as a foreigner with you shall be to you as the native born among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Again, God commands the people of Israel in Numbers chapter 15, verse 15. The community is to have the same rules for you and for the foreigner residing among you. This is a lasting ordinance for generations to come. You and the foreigner shall be the same before the Lord. The same laws and regulations will apply both to you and to the foreigner residing among you. You see, apparently there was an other problem in Jesus' day, and I find that it's continued on into our present day as well. In fact, our country is bound up by identifying those who are different from us. We find that racial unrest continues because of the color of one's skin. Hatred by the other is fueled by Democrats and Republicans alike, treating each other as less than rather than seeking civility in their political differences. Immigrants have become the other, residing among us both legally and illegally. And religious hatred exists between those of differing religions and sometimes even within the Christian umbrella of denominations and non-denominational bodies that may differ theologically with one another. The other is often the homosexual, or the person with mental health issues, or the homeless person begging for money, or even the differently abled child in the classroom. You see, the truth is, is that human beings are very good at noticing the other among us, but not very good at following Paul's command, and, and really Jesus' command to love the other as yourself. You see, this is actually Jesus' command to his disciples before he's about to be arrested and crucified. He tells them in John 15, verses 9 through 13, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus' command is to love each other as he loves us. And so often we get love all wrong, thinking that it's something that we fall into or we fall out of, because we often find love to be an emotion. And the problem with that is that emotions can run high and they can run low which means that love can be increased or even diminished based on the way that we feel. But this is not the love of Jesus. His love is not conditioned by his emotions that come and go, and it's not conditioned on us keeping his commandments. Praise God for that. Instead, his love is from everlasting to everlasting. It's unconditional. In fact, if you really think about it, we were once considered the other to God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8, he says, 
You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That would be us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus wasn't content with our otherness, the sin that separated us from him. So he died for us so that we could be reconciled to him through his death and even through his resurrection. And the truth is that God is saddened when we set boundaries to separate ourselves from those as we see the, uh, as others among us. For God has created every person, every human being in his image, and each one is special to God no matter how different, no matter how alienated they may be. Yes, we've gotten love all wrong. It's not conditioned on everyone being like us. It's the unconditional love of Jesus Christ that reaches out to the other and draws them close, rather than being content with enmity and separation. You see, love is not something that we possess. It's, it's not a noun. Love is a verb. Love is something that we do. That's evident in what Jesus has done in his own life and the ways in which he cared for the others, for the sinners and the prostitutes and the lepers and the unclean and the tax collectors, the Jewish prominent, and even the Gentiles and Samaritans among him. Jesus' love has no boundaries. It's not based on the color of one's skin or their culture. It's not based on one's income or education level. It's not based on your sexuality or on your abilities or on your theology or on anything that you and I deem to be different from us. That, my friends, is the good news of the gospel. And his love frees us from the prison of otherness that you and I together are one in Christ and that we are commanded to respond in love as we live into what we've received from God. His amazing love that has paid off all of our debts. And in grateful response, we are always indebted to the other, to one another, the same way that Christ loves us. And when we live this out as Christians, as following Christ together, we won't have to worry about breaking God's law because God's love displayed in us is what binds us to God and to one another. You see, we live in a world of hostility where Satan smiles with pleasure that we choose to remain focused on the differences that we have with others rather than following Christ's command to love and seek reconciliation. He loves to see the demonization of the other the continued hatred and violence and disruption and accusatory statements that continue to fuel the fire of hell on earth. And he wants us to rack up a multitude of sins so that we can be imprisoned by our debts, somehow believing that even God can't save us from our sin. But the good news is that God already has. 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 and 18 proclaim this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Today we are reminded that our love comes from Christ, and this love is not to be fenced in only to those who are like us. No, we are called just like Jesus to love unconditionally 
especially those we consider to be the other or the alien residing among us. And we are to do this with the same love that Christ has given to us, sharing Christ with others. And our love will be most clearly seen, not just in the words that we speak, but particularly in the ways in which we live, in our actions, in the way that we treat one another at all times. You see, while all of our debts have been paid through Jesus' death and resurrection, we will always be indebted to love one another as Jesus has loved us and especially the other among us, fulfilling Christ's law. Truth be told, this is the best debt that you and I could ever have, a debt of love to be shared, to be cherished, to be given, especially to someone who doesn't feel loved at all. Friends, I encourage you and I pray that together we would be able to see people differently as Paul sees differently. No longer there are others among us, but there are people created in the image of God who need to know God's love. And God's given you the opportunity to do that in the ways in which you treat them the ways in which you reach out to them and proclaim Christ, not just in your words, but especially in your deeds. Friends, may it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.